Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi ve salatu ve selamu ala seyyidil mursalina ve ala alihi ve sahbihi. Ve baraka ve selleme teslimen kathiran ila yevmiddin amma ba'd. So İmam Muhasibi continues this discussion. He says, وَقَيِّدِ الْجَوَارِحَ بِإِحْكَامِ الْعِلْمِ Basically, قَيِّدْ الْجَوَارِحَ Jawari refers to limbs. Limbs denote actions. So you get actions through limbs. Saying, in other words, make sure all of your deeds, your actions, anything physical that you do, make sure that you qualify it with, by solidifying knowledge, with firm knowledge. Everything you do must be based on firm knowledge, not hearsay. It shouldn't be just based on the trend of the time or what somebody mentioned to you or what we sometimes assimilate growing up in various cultures. It needs to be something as far as possible. At least the intention should be there. It's very difficult to... I mean, it's very difficult to enlighten the whole world with a really solid, firm amount of knowledge, though that should be our ambition and goal. But on an individual level, not everybody has the same kind of access to firm knowledge that maybe other people do. Some people do and some people don't. But the intention, at least, we should start with the intention that I want to do what I, whatever I do based on firm knowledge. You can't gain firm knowledge until you actually embark on wanting to study something. You can't expect just to carry on doing what we've been doing all of our life and expect to increase and to, to know more. If scholars who've studied for several years to do a certain training course, whether that be a, uh, a Sharia course, whether that be an Alim course, whether that be whatever kind of course, a BA course in an Islamic university, it doesn't matter. For the years that they were doing that course, they clearly increased in their knowledge. They clearly learned something, they developed in that sense. Now, they've formed a basis, which is very helpful. But if they then, even them, if they continue now not to uh, study, if they don't continue to study, then everybody's going to feel a sense of lassitude. You can't just go to the gym for two years straight, or do some martial arts two years straight, do a lot of training in that time, get very you know, get, get, get really developed in that sense, and then after that, just completely leave it. You're going to benefit because you've known it before. So clearly, if you, are, if you do run into trouble, or if you do run into where you need to use whatever your training was, you'll have some understanding, but you'll be out of practice. And with knowledge, it's the same. It, knowledge is the same. So can you imagine somebody who has never been in a gym, and then he has to take on something, that's even going to be more difficult. So... He says that your jawari, everything you do with your limbs, needs to be based on firm sense of knowledge. أي لا تحرك جارحة من جوارحك إلا أن يكون لديك علم من الشارئ الحكيم بجواز ما تفعله وصحته. Make sure everything you do, you know that it's sahih to do, it's valid to do, and it's correct to do, and it's permissible to do. Otherwise, وَإِلَّا كَانَ تَصَرُّفُكَ عَلَيْكَ لَا لَكَ This is a this is a clarification of it. Otherwise, whatever you do. Whatever movement you make, whatever activity that you undertake, all of that is going to actually become a burden upon you. It won't be for your benefit. I mean, this is talking divinely in the spiritual realm. قال سيدنا عمر بن عبد العزيز رحمه الله رضي الله عنه من عمل على غير علم كان ما يفسد أكثر مما يصلح. This was Umar ibn Abdul Aziz's statement, and I'm assuming that that is based on knowledge. That is based on experience. It's not a hadith, but it's based on experience. This is a man who 
clearly took on the highest position of the Muslim rule where he became the Khalif. And I'm assuming he said this then. He says that whoever does anything, whoever does an activity, not based on knowledge, which doesn't have solid knowledge foundations, his epistemological sources are messed up in the sense of where he's getting his knowledge, then that which he corrupts will be much more than what he reforms. Now, I know in an everyday aspect we can get away with knowing basic amount of knowledge, but this probably would apply more to people who are actually in the field, even trying to help others. And you've seen that. Sometimes the, the people that mess it up the most for us are Muslim leaders, Muslim religious leaders sometimes even. May Allah protect us from that. And activists, da'is, sometimes it's actually that, that it's not based on sound knowledge. Just because you feel like doing something. A lot of this comes down to, I was in another country recently in Europe, and there's a new movement there. And they're feeling the, the, the attack against Muslims, as everybody is, right? constantly in the media or some, and elsewhere. It's very ideological. One is you've got the Muslims attacking, certain Muslims attacking us, like blowing people up in Muslim countries. We've got that. But then you've got other people who are just attacking Muslims on an ideological basis, just <coughs> purely challenging you of why we do certain things, making it sound backwards, inferior, untrendy. I mean, that, that's, that's to put it lightly, and just plain stupid. You know, that, that's what it is. And then a lot of people who don't have the knowledge or the wisdom of why we do certain things, they're clearly, they're just going to think, okay, what's the point of it? So subhanAllah, there's some people who leave Islam completely. So we've got rising atheism. We've got a rising atheism problem. For example, there's those guys in America, they're actually going around now to different campuses. There's a group of atheists, they're going around to different places and universities and they are telling everybody why they left the faith and so on and so forth. One of the things in that interview was actually very interesting. That was a massive eye-opener. It's something that I've had, that I've thought of a, a lot of times, but never been able to put it completely in words, maybe. Somebody asked him, one of the individuals, <clears throat> how's your family with it and so on. And of course, they've all been mostly been isolated from their families, estranged from their families, disowned by their families and so on. So then the person said to him, aren't you... Wouldn't it be easier? Wouldn't it be easier just to believe? And he says, "Yes, it would be much easier to believe. I wouldn't have any problems with the families. I wouldn't have, you know, it'd be just normal. It'd be very easy to believe. Yes, it would have been easier if I just believed. But that's the point. I can't believe. So it's almost like they want to believe, but they can't believe. And as I said, this is something that just confirms for me a thought that I've always had that yes, we study." <clears throat> and all of these great scholars of the past, like Imam al-Haramain al-Juwaini, Ghazali, Ibn Taymiyyah, etc., etc., they've, they've written numerous works, they've argued endlessly about dalils and proofs for the existence of God. So many of them. But then, then you suddenly hear that, then you suddenly hear that they died, and on their birthday they said, you know, we don't want anything to do with any of this, and it's just about what Allah said and His Messenger said. And to put that in perspective, it makes completely sense. Not to say what they did was a waste of time, absolutely not. That's not what they're saying. You need people who are just 
they just need satisfaction. They just need tranquility. They just need comfort. They just need reassurance. You get a lot of people like that. They believe they are believers. Tawfiq has been written for them. They have been written, inshallah, to be fortunate ones in the year after. But they just need more knowledge. Knowledge has to be around. And thus, having defense for our beliefs and having arguments for the existence of God, whether they be you know, cosmological, teleological, whatever it may be, they are all very useful. But you can't rely upon them. There will be people, I mean, because um, while, we're study, while we're studying this stuff, I was constantly saying that what we need to do is we need, maybe need to uh, run a, uh, uh, do, a res- do some research, some empirical research on, find a number of atheists and see which of these evidences, whether it be teleological, cosmological, you know, by design, uh, whether it be philosophical arguments, whether it be you know v- different arguments for the existence of God that have been forwarded you know throughout the centuries, let's see which one works the most, which is the most effective. And I w- now I'm actually doubtful if that's even a if if that's even going to reveal anything, if that's going to even result in anything, because at the end of the day, it's all about tawfiq. That's what I've my, I've come to that conclusion, and it hit what that person said just hit it home for me. That it's all about tawfiq. If Allah, if Allah hasn't written it for somebody, for and now you might say, well, that's that's quite fatalistic. That's quite bad actually, because if you're saying Allah hasn't written it for you, that means you got no choice. Yes, in one sense that is true, but why has He written that for somebody? That's another layer that we need to deal with. Right? Why why has it been written for somebody? Do you know that is written for you that you're not going to be fortunate? Nobody knows that, right? Nobody knows that. But there are some people, as this individual who the article was uh, targeting, he clearly couldn't believe. And I'm sure there's many people who may have tried, right? There's a lot of people who probably tried to help him, but he couldn't be helped. A lot of the time, it's actually based on certain actions that we've done in the past, based on certain things we may have said. It could be anything. That then just ala قلوبهم, right? All of these things that Allah mentions in the Quran, they have to be there for a reason. Allah's got no reason to just tell somebody, I don't like you, just finish. He gives everybody a choice. We just don't know where that action is. That's why we have to just be very, very careful. So that, that was just uh, one point on the side and we have that's why i believe that anybody who constantly asks allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for guidance he can't misguide them but if allah has veiled somebody from asking him that's a bad sign that's a massively bad sign that's a real problem if you can't even ask him at least if somebody's doubtful and they ask allah that would be helpful because allah is not going to forsake anybody then he says, uh, this is Imam Muhasib, he says, You should constantly be thinking about ri'aya. Ri'aya means to take care of something. You should constantly be thinking about and considering what is, your close, what is Allah's closeness to you? Where is Allah to you? How far do I see Allah from me? How close am I? How far am I? What is my distance and what is my proximity? 
وَقُمْ بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ مَقَامَ الْعَبْدِ الْمُسْتَجِيرِ And stand in front of him like the one seeking refuge. Like the one seeking refuge. When you stand in front of Allah, that should be the way. It should be so far from arrogance. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't like that at all. He is the Almighty One. He is the omnipotent and majestic one. There's no way that anybody can have anything to say in front of him. So if we're going to do that, human, I mean, if you just look at human beings, when you see somebody that's done a mistake and they're showing genuine remorse just by their body language, you can generally tell by body language, generally speaking, you can tell by body language that somebody's showing remorse. Just by facial expression and something, right? I know you get exceptions. But generally speaking, when you're dealing with people and they come across and say, like, you know, I'm sorry, man. You know, they made a mistake, a genuine mistake. It's like, I'm sorry. It's not a big deal, man. Come on, just get over it. It's not going to help somebody get over it. You need to have some kind of remorse. With Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we've got nothing. At least with your employer, you may have some friendship. You may have some kind of level with them. You may have some kind of favors upon them. You may have been, you know, like a very, uh, you may have saved them in the past from something or whatever. So you, you can maybe, you know, use some of that. But when it comes to Allah, there's nothing. We owe everything to Him, including our wujud, our existence. There's no way that you can have any arrogance in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, just, to, just to add something to it, you know, we had that discussion, two, uh, two, I think two weeks, uh, a few weeks ago, about how to deal with, uh, the over-sexualized world, right? The, the, the, the video's online now. Anyway. But we, we spoke about how to deal with it. And we talked about those people who've been trying to just ask Allah to help them and to do certain worships and to do certain ibadat, but they're not changing their diet, they're not changing other things. There's another point in there which is very important. That if you're going to try to rely on your ibad, on your, if you're going to try to rely on your worship and your ma'mulat, your adhkar, your regimen, to think that's going to help you, it's not going to help you. Because only Allah can help you. If you think that I'm just going to do lots of prayer and so on, that's going to help me, it's not going to help. Because even though a'mal are for the sake of Allah, they're not Allah. Allah wants people to connect to Him. A'mal are just an excuse for it. They're very important. But really what Allah wants is, He wants us to just break down and say, nothing is going to help me except you. Because Allah is so protectively jealous. He's ghayur. He doesn't like it that you turn to anything but Him. Because at the end of the day, when you rely on adhkar, it's not because you're relying on adhkar, because you're relying on Allah, it's because you think you're doing them so you should be protected. So you're actually relying on yourself. There's just so much difficulty, isn't there? Subhanallah. That's why the arifin are those who really understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how to do things for Him. So... Always be considerate or always consider your position with Allah, your closeness to Allah and His closeness to you. And then stand in front of Allah like the standing of a slave who is asking for refuge. So do everything that you have to do. Why do we raise our hands in prayer? Can Allah not hear us? Why do we even have to verbalize it? Can't He read our minds? Is any of this useful? 
Yes, because it shows a position. This is as far as we can do. That's why the scholars say, if you really want your dua to be accepted, go and do a beautiful wudu. Go and take a bath, a shower. Go and put some nice clothing on. That you're really dressing for the occasion. And then put some perfume on. I mean, some people, they used to actually wash their mouth out or rinse their mouth out with rose water before they started doing salawat on Rasulullah Now we might think that's an overkill, it's not necessary to do that, but that's just their personal thing that I want to be in the best of states to do that. If I'm going to use mouthwash before I go to meet a client, why can't I put rose water in my mouth before I say salawat on Rasulullah When you love somebody, it will teach you adab. It will teach you the etiquette of that particular kind of adab. So, you wash, you, you, know, you put new clothing on, you, you face the qibla, because that's the qibla of salat. You, you make your face as though you're crying, you raise your hands. All of this is just to additionally to show Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we're trying to do as much as we, we can. Otherwise, you can just lie down and make all the du'as in your mind, but that's not the point of du'a. Du'a on the words. Du'a is a state. And that state is what's important. There is no doubt that you get into the right state and you show Allah everything that you can do. And then after that, He doesn't give you, that's impossible. Most of our du'as that we make, that are failed du'as as such, or at least in our minds they failed du'as, is because we're probably not fulfilling the condition. It's a massive thing that we want, but we're just like asking casually, as though we ask for anything else. If that's a very special thing that we want, I can say that there's, I don't think there's anything that I want that I've really asked for that I haven't got. Yes, there's things that I have asked for and I haven't got. And I know why. I don't think I'm serious enough about those. But if I really, really am serious about certain things, I don't think there's anything that I haven't been able to get. Reasonable, I mean, as long as you don't ask for some wacky things. Anyway, you have to be persistent. Then, then he says, if you do all of this, tajidhu raufan rahiman, you will find him for sure compassionate and merciful. You will find him for sure compassionate and merciful. There's no doubt about it, because the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, Inna Allah azza wa jal yunzilul abd min nafsihi bi qadri manzilatihi min. Allah subhanahu wa taala treats a servant in himself at the same level that he treats Allah subhanahu wa taala. At the same level as a person puts Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's the same level Allah will reciprocate in vice versa. So if you think Allah is the only one who can help you and you genuinely express that, then Allah will come to your help. But if you've got a ton of people in between, you're just kind of asking Allah as a routine, then saying, okay, well, uh, you've got those other guys in mind, let them deal with it for you. Come to me and I'll, I'll answer you. <clears throat> <clears throat> Ibn Kathir relates this story. It's a, one of those really interesting stories that in his tafsir, right, he relates this in his tafsir where Allah in Surah Al-Naml, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَمَّنْ يُجِيبُ الْمُطَّرَّ إِذَا دَعَاهُ وَيَكْشِفُ السُّوءُ Who is the one that responds to the one in great distress and need? مُطَّرَّ in the extreme level of need. Who is the one who responds to such a person when he calls out to him? And removes removes 
all evil, removes all harm, removes all the trouble. So he relates from <clears throat> Al-Hafidh ibn Asakir, Al-Dimashqi, actually they were both Dimashqis, Ibn Kathir is Damascan, Damascene as well, so is Ibn Asakir. He says, كَانَ رَجُلًا مُكَارِيًا عَلَىٰ بَغَلٍ لَهُ A Mukari, this comes in your fiqh books, Mukari is somebody who uh, hires out his camel, who takes people on his camel, right? You know, like renting out cars, so he rents out his camel. A lot of the time they wouldn't just give you the camel, because this would be long distances that actually come with you. They'd walk with the camel. So this was uh, actually not a camel, this was a mule that he was using. In this case, this was a mule that he was using, a mukari. Right? That's where we get the word kiraya. Right? So you get a mukri and you get a mustakri. So yurkib nas ala baghalin lahu lisafari bil ujra. So his route was Damascus to Zabadani. I think Zabadani is probably... It, it, it, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think it's probably part of Greater Damascus right now, from what I recall. Um, but it's an outskirts of Damascus. So Damascus, main town, uh, main center of the city, and then you've got the outside. So that was his route. Right? As he's, he takes passengers, and on this one particular day, a passenger got on. He says that as we were going in this direction, there was a fork in the road. Now, the person who owns this camel, uh, that owns this mule, he is used to taking a particular main thoroughfare. But there's another road, which he doesn't know too much about. But this man says to him, take this way. So, he says, I, the, the owner said, I have no, no experience with that road. I, I don't know, I, had, I have never been in that road. I, I don't know what that road is. So he says, no, it's much closer, it's a shortcut. It's a shortcut. So person, okay, fine, if it's a shortcut, good for me as well, good for him, let's go. So, فَسَلَكْنَاهَا He says, eventually we ended up in this very, very desolate area. It was actually a valley. And suddenly I see, as I turn around the corner, whatever it was, I see numerous corpses lying there. So the person said to him, um, just hold on to, hold on to the camel, uh, hold on to the mule until I get off. He got off and he got ready put his clothing together and then suddenly pulled out a knife and ran to attack me. And he says, this person, the the camel owner, he runs away. He's following him and I'm swearing by Allah to him and I'm saying to him, look, take the mule and everything that's on it. Right? Take the mule and everything on it, just let me go. And this attacker, this uh, person who traveled with him, he's saying, that's mine anyway. Now that's mine anyway. I'm, I'm going to kill you. That's what I'm here for. The mule's mine, regardless. I tried to make him fear Allah. Fear Allah, ittaqillah, whatever it is that he said, that Allah will punish you if you do this. He wouldn't accept. He was completely bent on attacking him. Finally, finally, I, I, I really uh, pleaded with him and I said to him, okay, fine, if you're not going to let me off, then let me just do my last two rakats. Let me just do my last two rakats. So after all that, the person probably said, he says, okay, laka dhalik wa ajil. If you're going to do that, go ahead, do it, but hurry up. He thought, this is done, okay, give him two rakats, no problem. But hurry up. So I started praying. He said, I started my prayer and I've forgotten all my Quran. I, I couldn't think of anything to read. Subhanallah. فَلَمْ يَحْضُرْنِي مِنْهُ حَرْفٌ وَاحِدٌ 
Not even a single word. I, could, I just didn't know what to read. But I just stood there in this state of hayran, in this state of a, just fright. And, and he's telling me, Hayya, ufrug, ufrug, hurry up, finish off, finish off, finish off. Then suddenly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused my mouth, He caused the words, the following words to be read. أَمَّنْ يُجِيبُ الْمُطَّرَّ إِذَا دَعَى وَيَكْشِفُ السُّوءُ I read those verses and suddenly in front of me, I know this sounds a bit mythical, but I'm taking it from a great source, so right, this is Ibn Kathir relating this. And he says, suddenly there is a cavalryman, a man on a horse, the shining knight in armor, you know, as, we would, as our stories would put it, right? The shining knight. He's coming from the mouth of the valley and he has a spear and he, he basically he throws the spear at this, at this murderer and the person falls down immediately. I just go and embrace this individual, this person with the spear. And I said, Billahi man ant, who are you? By Allah, who are you? He said, Ana abd. Ana abd. I'm just a servant of Allah, I'm a slave of Allah. I am the servant who responds to the person in great stress and need when he calls on to him. He says, I took hold of my mule and whatever I had laden on it and I, and I returned. Now this was a literal response to this prayer. This was literal response. Allah doesn't have to give us a literal response. You may not have a shining knight with an, in armor, in shining armor around, uh, around the corner for you each time. But there's numerous stories like this that have happened in different ways. It doesn't have to be a person with a spear. It could be anything. Allah will help us. That's the main thing. The hadith which I reported earlier that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He treats a person according to the way Allah is in that person's sight. There's a hadith that uh, is related from Jabir radiallahu anhu. That Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a group of angels. Allah has these expeditions of angels. That come in a light and then stand upon the gatherings of dhikr. This is they come and they stay around the gatherings of dhikr. And then at the end of that hadith, it's relating to Targhib al Tarheeb. Ibn Abi Dunya, Abu Ya'la, Bazzar, Tabarani, Bayhaqi, Hakim, etc. They say, and this is Sahih al-Isnad, at the end of that narration, Allah, it says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He places a servant, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places a servant in His position, based on, uh, in whatever position the servant places Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He then just uh, finalizes this by saying, وَذَلِكَ عَلَىٰ قَدْرِ الْخَشْيَةِ لِلَّهِ وَالْعِلْمِ بِهِ وَالْمَعْرِفَةِ لَهِ this is all based on uh, the level of fear that he has for Allah, the level of knowledge that he has about Allah, and his awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will have. So there is absolutely no harm. In fact, there is huge benefit in the more that you learn about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Because the more you learn about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it cannot stop having its benefits. If scholars have said that even taking Allah's name in vain, like just saying, Allahu alam, people say that without even thinking about Allah. It's just an expression. People say, Alhamdulillah. How are you, Alhamdulillah? Do you mean Alhamdulillah? People say that, right? Subhanallah, ya akhi, what do you do? Wallah, yalla, yalla, right? All of these are just casual statements that people make. We're probably not even thinking about Allah because they become figures of speech. But scholars like Ghazali, etc., they say that even taking Allah's name without, in, uh, without any kind of concentration has its benefits. So if that is the case, then learning about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's a praiseworthy deed on its own. Reading the Qur'an, just learning more about Allah through ahadith, just various different things. Just bringing Allah in the picture because that is what Allah wants from us. A person in, a, in the corporate world right, who is constantly thinking about the business because that's what they want. They want to cr- create this culture of you belonging. They want you to belong. So they want you to wear your, your company's attire. They want you to think about them. They want you to carry their phones and so on and so forth. And the most productive out of them is the one who's always thinking about his company. And some very successful ones like Google have managed to really, you know, get that because they've got a lot of money to create that environment for you and make you really feel a sense of belonging. Allah wants us to feel a sense of belonging to Him. So the more we learn about Him, it can't be devoid of not benefiting us. It has to benefit us. It's so important to do things on knowledge. And there is so ignorance. Yesterday, just to quickly, uh, I'm not going to talk about this in detail. Some other time I'll talk about this in detail of how to avoid these problems. But I dealt with a case where you've got a big family of maybe, I don't know, eight brothers or something. Eight or nine brothers and sisters. So you've got this case of several eight brothers. And remember, this is just going to increase. As our our second generation, uh, as our first generation starts to leave, and they've already started leaving, but especially then the second generation, because mashallah, Muslims own a lot now. Their, their investments have increased a huge amount, and they're quite settled in the communities. So they have a lot of assets. People are dying. And if people do not sort out their assets before they die, or give solid guidance about it, it causes whole families to disintegrate afterwards. And it's so sad when you see that happen. These are brothers and sisters, and I'm telling them, okay, this is a difference of opinion about a hundred thousand pounds about somebody's house. Father, they, he's saying the father get, uh, father sold it to me for two hundred and fifty, and when I tried to pay him to get a mortgage. He said, "Look, don't, don't get it right now. I don't need it right now. I'll do it later." And then after that, he didn't make a move. It's been about ten years. He hasn't made a move to pay, right? Now that the father has passed away, the other brothers are saying that he didn't sell it to you. He offered it to you. You never made a move to accept it. Now the argument from a shari perspective is that did he sell it to him or not? So if I've sold you something, you've agreed to buy it, like you've bought it, but you just need to pay me now, and you don't pay me for 10 years, that product is yours, I have to just chase you for the money. But the product is yours. If it was, you can take it for this much if you give me the money, and you didn't give me the money, so we didn't actually do a deal then. The contract wasn't signed as such. It doesn't have to be signed in terms of actually signed, as long as the offer and acceptance is done. So that's the argument. The majority are saying that there was no deal. It was an offer. He's saying there was a deal. I just didn't pay it. So I'm telling you, you're a bit silly, weren't you? 
You had all of these hawks on you and you should have expected, you should have preempted that. Shouldn't you have made some movement, even given your dad 10,000 pounds as a token payment to say, okay, I've solidified the deal. You haven't paid a penny and you've been in there for all of these years. But then how can you resolve something like that? If So I was just trying to tell him, look, you just move, you just offer more because now that house is not worth 250 anymore, it's worth 500 and something, or 470. So they want market value for that house now, the rest of the brothers. He said, no, it was 250, that's what I'm going to pay. But he had no movement to pay 250 either until now. So I'm saying, you need to go up, they need to come down a bit maybe, just so that at least your family can stay intact. You've got children, they're gonna, they've got uncles basically within each other. It's a massive problem. And this is not isolated. This is not isolated. And uh, I would probably blame the father because he seemed to have given mix, mixed messages. He was telling that particular son that it's kind of yours or whatever. Uh, and he was telling his wife that make sure he gets it according to what they're saying, by the way. The others are saying that, oh, he's been ducking and diving. I can't get through to him. He doesn't pay or whatever. So he, these guys are saying their father's saying this. He's saying that his father was saying something else. The mother's saying something else. How do you resolve that? And the poor man's dead now. Allah protect him. It's just a really bad, bad case. The more assets you have, the more liability you're going to have. So if you have more assets, make sure you hire somebody to sort it out for you before you, de- before you die. Because it's a massive problem. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. Subhanallah al-Ali al-A'la al-Wahhab. Allahumma fillana warhamna wa'afina wahdina warzuqna. Allahumma ahdina wahdibina waj'alna hudatan liman ihtada. Allahumma inna nas'aluka al-Afu wa al-Afiyah fi al-Dini wa al-Dunya wa al-Akhirah. Oh Allah, we ask you for your mercy. Oh Allah, we ask you for your compassion. Oh Allah, we ask you for your forbearance. We ask you for your guidance. Oh Allah, guide us. Oh Allah, illuminate our hearts. Oh Allah, make us close to you. Oh Allah, make us the way you want us to be. Oh Allah, we ask that you grant us the blessings of the adhkar that we have made. Oh Allah, you make you accept this gathering of ours. Oh Allah, you accept this gathering of ours. Oh Allah, we can only ask you for this acceptance. Oh Allah, we ask that you grant us all a sincerity. Oh Allah, this Sunday morning that we have gathered here, Oh Allah, we ask you for acceptance from this, to make this a source of light for the rest of our days. Oh Allah, a source of closeness to you. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask you to protect us from all of the evils that are out there. Oh Allah, give us guidance and give us light in our hearts. Oh Allah, allow us to understand that which is right and to accept it. And oh Allah, remove all doubts and shubuhat from our hearts. Oh Allah, remove all doubts. Or all forms of all forms of doubts, O oh Allah, and darknesses, O oh Allah, remove them from our hearts. O oh Allah, grant us beneficial knowledge. Illuminate us with beneficial knowledge. O oh Allah, grant us your gnosis. Grant us your ma'rifah. O oh Allah, make us of those who have been written to be fortunate in the hereafter. Make our deeds conducive to that. Facilitate our deeds for your path. O oh Allah, grant us good company, good surrounding. O oh Allah, remove the difficulties that we may be having in our life. Make our surroundings conducive. O oh Allah, grant us your love and the love of those who love you. O oh Allah, grant people around us who are of a good company to us, good influence on us. O oh Allah, make us forces for good. 
O Allah, protect us from being forces of evil. O Allah, grant us sincerity. O Allah, allow us to be of those whose every deed is those which please you. O Allah, forgive us all the sins that we have committed, all the sins that have made difficulties in our life, that have brought obstacles in our path. O Allah, that has taken the delight out of our hearts. O Allah, the delight out of our eyes. O Allah, that has brought issues and problems within families. O Allah, O Allah, do not let us leave such fitna. O Allah, do not let us see such fitna. O Allah, allow us to be protected from these things. O Allah, allow us to be of the guided ones. Allow us to be of your awliya. O Allah, grant us jannatul firdaus. Grant us jannatul firdaus. O Allah, grant us jannatul firdaus. O Allah, we ask that you protect us and our children and our progeny until the day of judgment. O Allah, that you protect the Muslimin around the world. O Allah, that you protect Masjid Al-Aqsa. You protect our brothers and Syrians in whatever country they may be, whether that be Syria, whether that be in Burma, whether that be in all the other Yemen. O Allah, we ask that you grant us peace and grant the world peace. Grant insaniyah to the insan. O Allah, grant insaniyah to the insan. O oh Allah, we ask that you send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and that you grant us his company in the hereafter. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon wa salamun ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillah.